0: I'm Evelyn Glennie, and you're listening to the Evelyn Glennie Podcast. There is nothing more rewarding than witnessing children interact with life. Everything is a discovery, a curiosity, a question, an exploration. And we feed off their natural wonderment of what they experience, big or small, which in turn gives us the precious memories we hold so dearly. Well, today I feel very excited and privileged because one of the most extraordinary organisations I've had the good fortune to get to know over the years is EACH, East Anglia Children's Hospices. Now, hospices are not just about end-of-life care. They're often extremely happy and fun places where young people can live life to their full potential. They're also places where families feel safe and comforted and at home, and where they can spend quality time enabling parents to be parents and not constant caregivers. And so when I think about listening, I can't imagine an environment whereby the patience to listen would be more prevalent and magnified. And now, with our world having been turned upside down due to COVID, I'm really keen to find out how the listening process has changed both within EACH and who they serve. So, let me start by introducing my wonderful guests today. We have 13-year-old Oliver Thomas and his mum, Angela, and Oliver's dad, Bryn Thomas. I'm also joined by Phil Gormley, chief executive of EACH, and Ray Trevasso, a specialist music therapist whose work is an essential lifeline for the children and their families. Thank you all for agreeing to come today, especially as I know you've all busy schedules, especially Oliver, who's eager to pack as much as possible into his day.
1: I'm going to, we'll kind of partly improvise this, so we'll, here we go. Oh, Are we ready? Brilliant. Oliver, oh! you ready? And we've got the croc as well with us. Good afternoon.
0: absolute star look at those fancy sleigh bells you have oh I love them I'm glad I'm not in your home otherwise I'd be trying out every instrument you have in your home that's incredible oh Bryn you're there with Oliver at the moment you must just be so so delighted to see how music is such an important part in Oliver's life
2: It is, Um, and uh, although myself and Angela aren't musical, we listen to a lot of music, so music is very important in our household, so from from when we get up in the morning, we're listening to music, whether it's 70s rock or anything else, so Oliver's got quite a, a a varied, eclectic mix of music in his life.
0: Isn't that fantastic, really? And the whole fact of, you know, having, for example, today the sleigh bells in his hand and just seeing him interact with that instrument. And and that must be such a positive thing to, to build on the coordination, to build on, I suppose, information that he might be giving you as well.
2: Definitely, yeah. We um, we know when he's happy, when he's sad, um, when when he actually wants to Move on to a different instrument. He'll pick it up and throw it on the floor, and we'll introduce another instrument, like the cabasa or a tambourine or something like that. And he's quite happy to pick it up. But again, if he doesn't like it, it's on the floor, and he wants a different musical instrument. So uh, he communicates n- not just through the through the uh, instruments, but uh, but with you know vocalizing as well. He's He's very vocal when he is excited, as Ray will probably uh, concur.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting because, I mean, Ray and Oliver, this, this kind of chemistry is, is something that is, is sometimes enviable, you know, because you must notice the tiniest, tiniest things in collaborating with Oliver to bring out the expression from him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the training of the music therapist is all about listening. It's actually that's the first thing. It's all about listening first, playing second, and it's really important that we can we can hear and and see and observe all of the the different you know intricacies of of what Oliver I, is doing. And um, you know, music therapists can even sort of uh, learn how to pitch and work out. Actually, that that cry or that sound might be a few octaves above, but actually in tune with the music. Often we we Mm. pitch in line with, uh, tonally with the music without even realising it. It's incredible. Mm, And so, you know, Oliver's got that amazing kind of innate response to music that we all have, but it's amazing.
0: Absolutely. And I suppose as Oliver gets older and older his voice will naturally change and therefore what you do and the type of music or the keys that you choose to play in or the types of chords harmonies and so on may well change so it's like a moving river
1: absolutely i mean it's it's, it's like how music changes for all of us isn't it you know the, what we what we continue to listen to from our past but also we we, we listen to new things and and that changes uh, you know for everybody
0: Absolutely. And Bryn, can you just describe perhaps, you know, some of the challenges that you navigate through uh, with Oliver?
2: So currently, obviously, um, there's quite a few challenges because he's not going to school uh, due to the, the pandemic. So uh, we've, um, we've had Oliver at home since March last year. Um, so homeschooling, um, does involve a lot of music, it involves uh, a lot of reading with him and a lot of physio uh, and um, you know, that sort of structure, which a lot of it was done at school. So you know, we had a great deal of help from school um, when, it, when it, during term time, so obviously that's, that's something that we're having to do all of the time. Uh, luckily I'm self-employed. Angela had to give up her her job to uh, look after Oliver, um, but uh, you know, they're the challenges at the moment. Is is keeping him occupied, keeping him stimulated, um, and and he's thirteen, so you know, he's a teenager and. Uh, the toys get thrown out of the uh, <laughs> out of the pram <laughs> of the like any child, but terrible
0: uh, teenagers. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely,
2: absolutely. But
0: absolutely. Uh, and I mean, it, it, it's been about five years. Am I right there since you connected with each? Yeah,
2: about five years. Um, we were first introduced uh, to each by Oliver's social worker um, because we'd got to a point where. We'd actually looked after Oliver all the time, 24-7, which you do with your children, um, but we, we did need a little bit of extra help. Um, and the social care team introduced us to each, and each stepped in, um, and we gradually built up a great trust with the care staff there um, to to be able to um, just give us a little bit of help. It was, um, it was something that we hadn't had for so many years was actually having a little bit of time, not completely away from Oliver, but having some time for me and Angela just to reconnect sometimes, but have Oliver within earshot at the treehouse in Ipswich. Um, it, was, it was a great help, uh, and it was our first, our first real help. Um, so, you know, eight years in, I think we needed it, and they, they were great to us.
0: Absolutely. And I suppose that whole conversation of thinking about, you know, do you need help? Perhaps realising that you do, but then, you know, allowing an external family um, that is such a lifeline to to look after and stimulate Oliver. You know, that must have been quite a a tough decision as well.
2: Um, A very tough decision, Um, even when Oliver first started school. Um, myself and Angela would go into school every day until the teachers looked at us and said, you know that you can leave him here, (laughs) you can go home. So building up that trust um, was difficult but very important and it was the same with each. We met all the care staff, Um, we would never have left him with somebody or anybody that, that didn't look after him exactly the same way we did. Um, And that was crucial. And, you know, the the care that they've given and the support they've given was exactly how we would look after him. But when we stayed at each, um, they give us a family room. Um, So we, me and Angela can stay overnight and Oliver's in the same building, but all his care needs are, are taken care of. We're just there. In earshot, just in case, but uh, it was it was priceless at the time. It was, it was our first real real break. So, yeah, it's been Absolutely. good. Absolutely,
0: and I think this is just one of the many many things that you know each provide and and that is just so extraordinarily important. You know, for the families, it isn't just about. Uh, the needs and taking care of the needs of the, the, the children themselves, but also the, the families too, which is, cru- which is so, so crucial. But of course, you know, since last March, the, the whole world has been turned upside down one way or another. So what have really been the most significant changes for yourself and Angela as well as Oliver?
2: OK, um, as I said before, I'm self-employed, um, but uh, I, I deal in antiques. So going to auctions and to antique fairs and buying my stock came to an end, obviously, in March when everything closed down. Um, the, only, the biggest thing is the shielding. Um, obviously, Oliver has been shielding since March, but Oliver shielding means Angela and myself are shielding as well. There, there is, you know, if I were to go out and, and mix in the public, I come home, it, it, then it makes no sense to shield Oliver unless the three of us are shielding. So since since March, um, we, you know, our, our lives have completely changed because Oliver would have gone to school. Myself and Angela would have then had time during the day to, to re, regroup and, you know, gather ourselves because Oliver uh, is awake at night quite a lot. He'll be awake for two or three hours, so we, we kind of, we're a, we're a good team. We take it in turns to look after him at night, but then during the day, you need that little bit of catch up. Obviously, you know, we, we haven't had that. Um, so, you know, it, it has been a, a, a major ordeal, um, but it has brought some positives as well. You know, I've, I've spent a lot more time with my family, so, you know, that, that, can't, be, that can't be
0: bad absolutely and of course that family i can see is extended to lots of oh that huge dinosaur or alligator <laughs> i think i see or a crocodile or there we go it's massive and a lovely cuddly teddy bear there with all of our my word it's like a little zoo oh, it um, is, yeah. it's a little zoo Towards i'm us. sure there must be some animal songs that you know
2: we do a lot of animal <laughs> songs with ray definitely
0: <laughs> but do you feel that, um, you know, there have been positives? You've mentioned some of the challenges that that this past year have, has ignited, but with the kind of new normal that we're trying to grapple with, you know, and, and especially with virtual communication, um, you know, do you see that as being an extended part of Oliver's journey moving forward?
2: Um, I'd be very interested in Oliver going back to school. Um, it's so important for him to mix with other children, with other adults, um, rather than just me and Angela. Um, we don't envisage seeing that quite yet, but when it when it comes, we're definitely keen on Oliver going back to school, and I, I think that is very crucial for his development. The online um, sessions that we have with Ray and with uh, school... Um, are good and Oliver really does interact with them because I think sometimes he's uh, a little bit sick of seeing mine and Angela's faces every day. So seeing somebody new online and seeing your faces today is definitely uh, interacting. So it is. It, it, there is there are positives to the, the new way of communication, definitely, but uh, you can't beat uh, the classroom. School are so good. When we've come for daycare sessions at Treehouse... You know that people can do things with Oliver that that we can't. Um, so it, it, it's it's crucial um, that we get back to that way, definitely.
0: Absolutely, and I suppose you know all of the other senses, you know, are are ignited so much more when you are with other people in a different environment and and so on, and and just new experiences as well, um, which is interesting. But I would imagine that, you know, one of the key aspects to having each is your extended family is that obviously you would meet many other families who are also navigating through similar paths as yourself and Angela. So, you know, have you managed to keep a virtual connection with other families and, and uh, you know, has that been comforting for you? Has it been uh, necessary for you? Um, You know, how, how important has that been?
2: So we're, um, we're not social media uh, people, unfortunately, (laughs) or fortunately, I don't know. Um, But we've been able to connect um, through Ray and his sessions with the other families, and also with the school and their story sessions and music sessions. So we've had we've been able to connect in in that way. Um, so it is nice to catch up um, and see that you know we're not the only people going through this, um, and there are you know there's other people playing the waiting game as well as we are. So uh, it, it's been good to connect yeah. through uh, through each and, and the Zoom calls definitely.
0: Absolutely. And what do you think that you have learned? about yourselves, as parents, in looking after Oliver's journey um, and and certainly interacting with each as well?
2: So initially, um, we were a little bit like doctor and nurse to Oliver when he was younger, because everything was about uh, medication, operations, um, air ambulance, accident and emergency. Um, so, you know, all of those things we've been able to move away from being doctor and nurse to actually being Oliver's mum and dad and friend. So, you know, o- over the years, and I've, I think some of the staff at uh, at each of as well have been able to give that back to us a little bit when we have been uh, being over there. Because, you know, ha- having somebody else take care of feeding Oliver through his gastro tube or giving him his medication gives us that little time to sit back and then, oh, we'll play with Oliver. I'll put him on my shoulders, I'll read him a book. I won't just be his doctor. So that's the way the the, the care has helped us, definitely.
0: Absolutely. It's fantastic to see Oliver so lively there, my goodness. I've no idea why, he
2: was up for two hours in the night.
0: (laughs) It's incredible, isn't it, really? Yeah, even I'm just exhausted looking at him and playing with all of his toys. But now, film. well, first of all, thank you, Bryn, for that. And thank you to Oliver for such a wonderful introduction with Ray. My goodness me, that was so beautiful. Maybe we can have something at the end as well. Wouldn't that be nice? Get the sleigh bells out or another instrument and all the animals can take part.
2: We'll just give Oliver a little power nap, and maybe that uh, that'll help.
0: <laughs> that sounds good. I know that feeling. <laughs> Thank you, Bryn. Thank you, Oliver. S- Thanks. Bye. Oh, look, brilliant. Phil Phil Gormley, you're the chief executive of Each, which is quite a new role for you. Yes. So, why did you decide to be part of the Each family?
3: Um, well, I. I... I'd known about EACH for for years and years so before I did this job I was in policing and I had been the chief constable of Norfolk going back to 2010 2013 and there were two a couple of charities you couldn't help but be aware of and, and EACH was one of those so um you know it it is just an inspiring uh, organisation and I take no credit for it whatsoever but but the opportunity last year to, to join and hopefully make a contribution was just something that I couldn't resist and uh, and and it and it's just it's just a brilliant organisation you, you know we've we've got Bryn on the call and um, the work that, that our staff do our volunteers and, and the parents uh, it's just brilliant I, I don't know quite how to express it Evelyn really but but um, it's the best decision I have ever made in my professional life without a shadow of a doubt.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Well, we're, we're very lucky that you are part of that family. And of course, Bryn has talked about, you know, the, the many services and, and lines of support that are offered by each. But what are some of the things that we may not be aware of that each do?
3: I mean, it, 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 you know, it's, it, on the theme of listening, I've done a lot of listening since last August and learnt a huge amount. I, I thought I sort of understood what each does and, and and to an extent I did, but but that much broader impact. So I, I had never thought about listening and music and play and art uh, in the way that I do now. Uh, and watching Ray and, and his colleagues, how they've adapted to the circumstances we're all living through has been actually inspirational. And, and, you know, you talk to the guys and girls, and I think they'd be the first to say that if you talked to them last year, that we'd be delivering, they'd be delivering some of the services to Bryn and other families um, digitally through mediums like this. It would have almost been professional heresy, but mm. but they are, and, you know, we are now delivering music, play, art, emotional support, bereavement, counselling, Um, through through this kind of technology in a way that we probably never thought we could Um, we've learnt a huge amount actually it's extended our offer and made it more accessible and more convenient in some respects not notwithstanding that we all have a a human and emotional need to to actually physically get together but um, we've adapted and extended our services so um, I, I think as we emerge into into the world beyond this pandemic we will retain some of that knowledge and amplify it and build on it the other bit really is around it is so much more than the child it, it is the family and it's the siblings and you know sadly the pressure on relationships um both you know within families and in the broader setting is huge and and um, the needs are are way beyond the, the the concentrated requirements around that individual child. And, and often siblings get lost or forgotten in this. You know, the focus, understandably, is on the child with the, the, those special needs. but But often there's a much broader family requirement and we try and engage and support that. And one of the things I think we're going to need to think much more carefully as a sector and how we join up our services with adult hospices is luckily so many of our children are now surviving and thriving into early adulthood in a way even 10 years ago that might not have been the case so you know we, we at the moment stop our services and support at 18 so what does an age appropriate care environment look like for a young adult and there's a gap there and we you know i think as we as we look to develop uh, over the next few years what what we what we want to do for people it is trying to bridge that that gap that now is is very evident and there's greater need because thankfully children and young people are surviving and thriving into early adulthood and way beyond, actually, in a way that wasn't the case. So we've learnt a lot and we've got a lot more to learn, Evelyn, is what I would say.
0: Absolutely. It's so interesting that actually that that particular gap and as we all, you know, live longer and yeah. so on and and the, the the extension of technology in order to allow us to. Uh, function and yeah. so on is, is so prevalent but that's really really interesting and I know that hospices up and down the country spend a lot of their time and energy fundraising mm. um, and I know this is the case with each and, and I mean what do you need on a monthly basis to, to give that basic level of care
3: a, a lot, actually. And, and as for the reasons, all the great reasons that I've just sort of hinted at in terms of um, advances, medical advances, of course, they are expensive and complicated and require highly skilled and increasingly skilled staff um, and, and equipment to, to deliver that. And that's that's great, but it's a, a bigger and bigger funding challenge. It costs about £15 million pounds a year to keep each running. Uh, and in big handfuls, we we look to our retail, our shops, our trading, to raise about five million and then about six million through other voluntary sources. Because um, the other thing I have learned over the last eight months is that children's hospices are the poor relation. So adult hospices receive far more of their funding through statutory sources for a whole range of anachronistic and historical reasons, really. Um, so, so, we have to raise more of what we we do through voluntary and um non statutory sources so that that's big, and the pandemic, because we have forty three shops that generate about a hundred thousand pounds a week, so obviously every week they're shop that's a hundred thousand pounds that we don't we don't get now we have been very well supported by government grants uh and the communities of the three counties, four counties including north Essex we serve have have wrapped their arms around us actually and We've seen a huge community response, but um, you know it, it, it isn't plugging the gap in its totality. And this lockdown has been pretty drastic for us. We're projecting a, uh, an operational deficit of around about a million pounds for the next year. Now we have reserves because good decisions have been made in the past. And I am genuinely confident about the future of the organisation, but that, that's not to say it's not without its challenges. And we've had to furlough staff. We've had to hold vacancies we 've shut some um, premises that are not profit making in terms of the retail estate. Um, our staff have been brilliant in terms of working from home, which has allowed us to release some fairly expensive office accommodations so we 're doing all we can but but it is a big it 's a big challenge um, and you know corporate um, donations have contracted because businesses are under pressure and community fundraising all those wonderful events where we get together. You know, bubble rushes, cake bakes, coffee mornings, fun runs, all that kind of thing can't, we can't do. Um, there's been a lot of good stuff online. You know, um, a, a lot of people have stepped forward. Griff jones did a brilliant event for us last autumn. And thank you for your drumsticks, which um, <laughs> ma- ra- raised money for us. Uh, and we've had a, a fabulous art auction online that, that raised about 60,000 that concluded in the last two weeks. Um, so we're doing things, but, but it, is, it is different.
0: Mm. And I suppose after, you know, once we get through this pandemic that um, into the new normal that, y- you know, hospices are still going to need people, yes. you know, children need yes. people uh, to connect with. I mean, yes. We all do, of course, but but in, in with the various challenges that they have, and I can't imagine that the number of staff would be reduced.
3: No, we're we're doing everything we can, and so far we've been able to to maintain our our front line up. You know, it's a bit jargonistic, but our service delivery. We're we're trying to focus every penny that we get on delivering care to uh, families like like Bryn and Angela and Oliver, um, and, and and we will continue to do that. It, it's um, you know it's it's why we're here, and as I say, people have been extremely generous in terms of of looking to support us. Um, you know, we need to listen to the families in terms of, is our service meeting their needs? We need to listen to our donors and our, our corporate supporters in terms of what they want from us, because it is a relationship and we, we must never take that um, for granted. Mm. A- and, and you know, the bigger, one of the big issues for me is getting government to listen. Not that people are, uh, are um, anything other than sympathetic, but we're a small sector, a small voice. Um, you know, and in terms of the bigger political conversation... Advocating for children's services and and children with these sorts of life-limiting conditions is one of the responsibilities that we have, and um, we need we need to make sure that in the, in, you know, in the overall clamour for funding, and the pressure that's going to be on public sector spending over the next, you know, foreseeable future, now that that our voices, the voices of our families, are heard.
0: Mm, absolutely, and of course, there's also been a lot of emphasis as regards to looking after the well-being of our NHS staff, our our teachers, our university lecturers and so on, as well as the the well-being of students and pupils and and everybody, really. And is this an important part within each to really have an outlet for the team of staff to express themselves, to have that sense of release and so on?
3: Yeah, Yeah, you're absolutely right, Evelyn. You know, the well-being... Of our staff is really significant. You know the work that they're doing in normal times is incredibly emotional, draining. If you weren't moved by what we see uh, and hear and 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 deal with, then there would be something fundamentally wrong with you as a human being. So even in normal times, it's hugely demanding. And then you add on. The complexity of what we're how we're having to operate now and, and staff and volunteers own concerns about the, you know because they've got mortgages and families and they need you know it's an organization that pays salaries so there's it, it, an added degree of complexity what, what i have seen in the eight months here is an organization that cares immensely about itself about each other i've been made very welcome um and it's an organization that recognizes and values um the staff within it and our volunteers so um we need to think carefully about that and we are uh, and i'm I'm sure we could do more you always can but we do we do try and communicate and listen to staff and make sure that they're they're understood and they're properly supported in the work that they do
0: Mm. and then lastly you know what are your aims for each moving forward
3: um it's really interesting, actually. I, I was just putting together before this meeting. A, 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 we've got a, a, a meeting with the other directors next week, just to think about what our three-year strategy for post-pandemic needs to look like. You know, before a year ago, it was about expanding our services, particularly geographically into North Cambridgeshire. Um, that that is still an ambition, but we've also, I think, learned that geography is is it can be overly limiting and defining. And, and how do we how do we take what we've learned here in the last twelve months and use that? as a force multiplier to offer our services to as many family and children as we can. Um, I I want to ensure that we're in a really sustainable, robust position so that the future of this organisation is secure, and I'm confident that we will be able to do that. But but we've got to think about collaborating rather than competing um, in all sorts of different ways with voluntary groups, with other charities, with the statutory sector. So I think there are a number of dimensions in terms of how we look to the future um, but at its heart must be the children and young people that is the whole reason that we exist.
0: Mm, thank you, Phil. And, and it's such an important point that I think this whole pandemic situation has really highlighted that need to build bridges. Yes. I, I, I think that the virtual aspect has certainly allowed us to see that, you know, all of the connections we can make, all of the collaborations and so on is not... Uh, you know, we're not hostage to our geographic you know, exactly. little exactly. little bit. Exactly. And uh, so it is interesting. So thank you for that. That's really, really interesting to get get that insight. Um Bryn, just to go back to you, if I may, I mean, do you think about you know, once Oliver reaches the age of 18, a young adult and so on, or do you feel that, well, hold on a second, we're just taking day by day by day by day and, and making that an experience?
2: Uh, it's an interesting point. Uh, and it was good to hear that each are looking at um, over 18s because there is a huge gap um, that's, that's awaiting us. In some respects, I sit there and think, do you know what, I don't really want to know. Um, But it is something that um, we think about, and it is concerning, it is worrying. Um, uh, We've had great service um, from the hospitals that Oliver's been to, Great Ormond Street and our local hospital, and they are very orientated towards children. The care that they give the children is phenomenal once you're 18 I know the care is still there but it's a scary thought that he's not going to get the same treatment once he's over 18 because he will still be our little baby so he, you know yes. he'll, he'll still be a, a, a child even though he is over 18 um, so mm. it's it's very good to hear that there are conversations out there um, talking about over 18s um, mm. so that yeah that's good
0: absolutely and Ray Ray Travasso, I mean, you are a specialist music therapist with a background in pediatric and adult palliative care, and so of course your work is connecting with children and adults. And so at least we can all, you know, be glad to know that that there is that connection. So once Oliver does reach the age of eighteen, that you know the the music therapy side of things can at least remain a, a crucial part of his his journey. Um, but just firstly, can I ask what got you into this type of work in the first place?
1: Thank you, Evelyn. Yeah, uh, uh, so, I, you know, my, my parents played music, well, my mum played music. She played the piano. And uh, people often ask, you know, how, you know, how old were you when you started playing the piano? And I, I've always said when I was tall enough to reach the keys, I think, was when I started learning. <laughs> Um, and so music's always been a part, you know, of my my, my upbringing in my life. Um, and I I was really um, when I was um, sort of working. I, I worked in the in the school, uh, just doing some admin work actually. And um, the school needed some some help with music with the music teacher, and I offered offered help. And at the same time, I was in a band and we used to gig in Camden every week. We would rehearse in these grotty, stinky pubs, (laughs) hoping to get a record deal. You know, that's what, you know, um, and uh, we did all of that. And but I still, you know, during the day I worked in this school and I um, set up a little music club for some teenagers in the school. And they were they were really causing a lot of trouble at the school, actually. Um, for various reasons they had lots of difficult backgrounds some of them were in you know um, in gangs and you know there's all sorts of different situations going on for them and what I realised was that they were the most talented children I'd ever seen and they they all had this you know so much creativity they could dance they could write music they could perform so I took them to a recording studio and um, they'd never been to a recording studio before and they thought it was all amazing and um, I noticed that their lives, they just changed, you know, their um, their perception of themselves, but also the people around them changed their perceptions of them. And, and that seems to enable something to move and shift. Uh, and I realised I've got more out of that than my evening, uh, you know, job trying to, you know, get a record deal. And I realised, you know, I need to look into music therapy. And then... Um, I so I trained as a music therapist. It's a two-year master's training course, and went to no- Nordoff Robbins in London. Uh, wonderful training there, and and then um, there was a six-hour a week job in a little hospice in, in Ipswich, and uh, and I applied for the job. Yeah, and that was nearly twenty years ago now, and uh, I've been working there ever since. And I I think I've got the best job in the world better than phil's job um i don't know maybe better than your job (laughs) (laughs) maybe better than your job evelyn but i i i've uh, I, i really do because you know when we do the sessions and you've got to meet oliver and and brian and angela and you know we're just making the music up we're improvising it we're just seeing these amazing connections and you talked about building bridges that's what music is it's just about building bridges to To ourselves, within ourselves, um mm. and to other people. and um, mm. it's it's fascinating to see how music can bring so much to so many people in different ways.
0: Absolutely. and it, it, it's very interesting that you know the work that you do with with children like Oliver is then extended within the home, um that elements of that can continue within the development. Um, and the landscape of the family really but can you just describe I suppose in a nutshell because I realize it's so wide and varied but the role of a music therapist because clearly you know you're an amazing instrumentalist you're an amazing communicator um, you're an amazing improviser uh, you're an amazing connector with the individual that you're collaborating with. So it isn't just about the music.
1: Absolutely, it's the musical relationship. That's mm. how we would, you know, see that. And through connecting, through the music, through the relationship. Um, and and it's about listening. I'm listening to the individuals. I'm, it's not just it's not a performance. We're not. Um, I say not a performance. We're, we're you know we're trying to really engage with with the the young people and the family at the same time. Through that, we're both making music together. I you know you know we've written songs. I've I've improvised songs that I never would have done on my own. Hmm. It's only because of what happens when we are. When we're here, that, that, that song we're just messing about with at the beginning will never be sung ever again. You know? It's just <laughs> in, in the moment. And and that's what happens in, in creativity. You know, when we when we collaborate with somebody else, we are able to do things we never thought we would ever be able to do on our own. Mm. And and music, you know, and as a music therapist, we find that all the time, day in, day out. And but what okay, so we do that, but what 's really important is that we're really aware of the needs of those individuals and that we address those needs through through the music through the experience of the music, so whether it 's feeling isolated whether it 's feeling really depressed or it's feeling you know um, unmotivated um, or sort of disconnected, whatever those feelings are or, or you know, it, it could be about expressions of grief um, or or loss um all those we can we can address that through music we can't we can't take away the pain we can't fix things but we can ease a bit of that and and through that you know musical accompaniment as we musically accompany people through their journey through their lives there may be some ways that we can kind of help people
0: Absolutely. But I mean, let's imagine you're meeting a child for the very, very first time. You're sitting in what looks like a wonderful studio. You have a a keyboard in front of you, a piano keyboard um, and a lovely harp beside you as well. So let's say you're meeting Oliver for the very, very first time. What do you do?
1: What do you start with? (laughs) Well, that, that's that's the that's the thing, isn't it? Because I never know. <laughs> so, I, and, and 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 because you know, as a music therapist, we don't have a lesson plan like a music teacher would say. Right, this is what we're going to do. Actually, we have a blank sheet of paper. And actually, what what I what I'm really interested in when we meet um, children like Oliver for the first time is, you know, what what is it that makes them tick? What do they like? What well, what what do they respond with? And you know, and you know, if there is particular music that they like listening to or familiar with whether it's children's nursery rhymes or children's tv tunes or might be mum or dad's you know rock anthems whatever it is um you know finding out really as much as we can but also finding out about you know what they're struggling with you know are they in pain a lot have they slept very well or well, and how are the parents getting on and and so then thinking okay musically what would be the right way to meet this individual actually you know so thinking psychologically as well what what music would would be would be right to be there for that person Mm. and so that's the way we want to meet them musically after that we may want to shift it and move it to something else but actually it's about meeting them where where they're at Mm. and we would try different things we want to see what oliver responds with most is it more does it you know is it more rhythmic music? Is it something gentle? We'll change the sounds. We play the guitar, play the harp. I might just sing. Um, what, what's he responding with? And you know, we'll start to work out. Ah, oh, right, okay. These these kinds of things work well, but we may want to try to push it and extend it um, as well. So all the time observing and listening, and what waiting to see. You know how those responses are. And I should very quickly say those responses can be a physical response. It could be a, an emotional response. It could be a, a cognitive response. So the brain is triggered. It's kind of triggering sounds or vocal sounds or just connections within the brain. There's the social response. And then finally, there's the, the spiritual response. You know, does music bring, does it bring in peace um, or mm-hmm. some sense of connect, connection or, or something else that we can't, can't quite sort of put into words? Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's using all these different elements of music um, to kind of connect. In a fun, really fun way as well. Um, it's got to be, you know, fun. Sometimes it might, you know, be quite angry and actually, you know, the music might not be beautiful. It could be really, you know, crashing and chaotic. But it's done in a in a, in a safe and in a environment that's that's you know healthy for, for people.
0: Absolutely. It it seems almost as though every music student. I wish I had this uh, when I was a student. You, you know, having that experience of dealing with, with music therapy and and how that, in fact, does connect with people in, in surprising ways, because you always imagine musicians being very good listeners. I think it's quite specified listening, you know, that we do. But But actually, are we aware truly of how that connects with people? And I think that the work that you do is something that is just so... Unbelievably crucial. Um, that that you know, it's not about whether that individual is a musician or not a musician, whether they're interested in music or not interested in music. It, it's it's far far deeper than that.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, and, and and I have a, a bone to pick with Bryn because he said he's not musical <laughs> at the beginning, and and, I, and and actually, you see, we as music therapists, we believe everyone is that we all have we all have tone in our voice, we all have rhythm in our heartbeats. We 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 interact musically. Ooh, yeah.
0: mm, <laughs> Morsley bells! Oh, now I'm envious. And there's a whole box. <gasps> this amazing. Oh, oh
1: no. And that's the thing is that we all, we, we can't help it, but we respond musically all the time. You know, actually, mm. with with mo- mothers and ba- dads and babies, we have this vocal exchange. Um, we, we, we 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 when we're you know even exercising, we might exercise to music. You know, we respond mm. to music all the time, and that uh, we are conditioned to respond. Uh, the brain can respond to music, and it doesn't matter how old how young, what social situation, what culture we're from, we all respond to music. And, and that is so important uh, for the music therapist to to believe and understand. And we think of, me, think of music in a very broad sense. There's no right or wrong way to make music. So some of the music therapists who have trained, you know, through the route struggle a bit um, mm-hmm. because they have to unpack all of that Um But actually, it's really important that, you know, we think of music in a really broad sense. And it's all about the experience, not about that was played in the right way or the wrong way. It's about the experience. And in that experience, um, amazing things uh, when we open ourselves up to that um, can happen.
0: Mm, Absolutely. And what do you feel have been the challenges you've faced adapting the sessions from face to face to online and, and how children engage through this virtual platform, you know has what sort of things have worked well? what sort of things have perhaps not worked so well
1: yeah, I mean the, the, there are challenges working and and you know there's, we, we can't quite pick up some of those small, those little nuances you know there's there's little sounds or little little gestures uh, we miss that. And so that's really frustrating that we can't we can't do that. And there's something about it's you know with music when you're in a concert hall and you feel the music, or you're, you're you know you know you're at a gig or you're you know mm. there is something very special about being in in that live music environment to listening to it on a recording. We know that there's a difference between that recording uh, and and in the live. And so that's the same thing as music therapists. We, we, we miss, we desperately miss that. And, you know, and for the arts, you know, in general, we're all missing, you know, that big being together. So we, we're looking forward to the time that we can, you know, all meet in the same room uh, together. And that would be fantastic. Mm. But, but the, in terms of the, the, the kind of the opportunities is that we've been able to see lots of people in, um, where we haven't had to you know drive to, to different places around, you know the county um we've, it's become more accessible um for families in a way that just wasn't possible before i'm probably seeing more people than i did you know before the before the lockdown so um on that level you know it, it's fantastic and we've had some families who were not able to come to the sessions before um engaging and you know we did a christmas uh, special and Uh, Our very own Phil came in and, and, you know, and that was, you know, it was possible for Phil to come and join in, sing a load Mm. of carols with us and and, and share and join in with that. These are things that just were really difficult to do in the past. So, Mm. you know, I think music uh, is a great way of connecting. There are problems with it, but uh, um, overall, you know, it's been fantastic.
0: And certainly, seeing the connection that you yourself have with Oliver, you know, virtually. I mean, he just seemed to be this born performer, you know, and light up as you sang sang our our welcome song. And and it's it's quite magical, really, that that can still happen and as you say it, it it just opens up a lot of other possibilities or times of day you know that things can happen because i know that you um do uh some bedtime sessions tell me about that because yeah. that, that
1: sounds amazing so this this came up just i think we offered the the idea to the group um so the 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 group that that Oliver comes to is called band practice that's our that's Ooh. what we called band practice online um, because it's for, for the older ones, and I said, oh, would you like to do a band practice, you know, in the evening, and and then so we turned into this sort of lullaby night, um, oh. where we just, but the, the, the children get in their pyjamas, put the soft lighting on, and they're ready for bed, so we do about sort of 6.30 to 7.30, and oh. it's been lovely, and so there's not so much chatter from me, all we do is just play you know lots of just gentle sort of music My, i've got a, a daughter who's 13 year old who who plays the harp so she she'll play it join me as well which is not possible normally you know um uh and it's just been lovely you know It's been oh, really really amazing.
0: nice and that's how we amazing. couldn't do
1: that we can't do that normally you know everyone's in their own <laughs> homes getting ready for bed how on earth can you do that yeah. um so um yeah and it, it's just uh it's a very it's a really nice thing to do. And, and again, as you said, it, the, the care is for the whole family. And, and families have, have got all sorts of stresses and different mm. things going on. So that music is, is also for, for the parents as well at the end of the day.
0: Mm. Would this instrument be suitable, Ray? I'm holding oh, up a sanchula for I bedtime lullaby. Oh
1: wow! Oh. Well, well, you've just passed the audition... Bye I? Wow! I'm You're through about to the that. next round. <laughs> <laughs> don't
0: let Phil be one of the judges, will you? <laughs> don't let Phil be on the panel.
1: <laughs> We'd love yeah. to have you join us. Yeah, you? Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's it's so fascinating, though, because again, this is something that you know through listening to the whole team that an idea like this can. Can come about. And and as you say, it's not just for the children, but, you know, a sense of perhaps relief for the families and and just to have that moment where they know that the kids are in safe hands, you know, mentally, physically. And and then, as Bryn mentioned earlier, sometimes Oliver may wake up, you know, during the night for two, three hours. And that's a, a lot of time during a night to to then, you know, be awake yourself. So, so it's such a, an interesting, an interesting point there. So, Ray, in your experience, do you feel that there's a key aspect or activity of what you do that connects children? You know, do you find that percussion instruments are uh, more prevalent? Do you find that it's the vocal sounds that that uh, are, are sometimes the 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 part that you want to uh develop movement with sound and so on i mean you you did mention this earlier or are you just letting things organically develop
1: i i you know i've not f- found anything any one thing that works for everybody actually mm. and i mean i suppose on the whole the voice the human voice you know actually sort of you know, forget sometimes we forget actually that's our first instrument and we've all got it yes. and it's free and we don't have to pay a higher charge for it or whatever, you know, <laughs> the, so the, the human voice and, you know, I, I'm a big advocate for encouraging people to sing as much as possible is, and, and there's nothing better for a child to hear their parents singing to them and they're not going to hit a buzzer, you know, they're, they're just they're just going to love it and actually it's, and, and it, singing is so important, isn't it? For our breathing for our well-being, our health, but also you know the the connections and the bonds that that are uh, created uh, through singing. When you're when you're sung to, that's just a lovely it's a lovely thing, you know. Um, so I think that's that's really important. But being open to different sounds and there's no hierarchy of um, genre of music, you know, whether it's rap, R and B, it's you know classical music, avant-garde, um, percussive. or or melodic it's all it's all good it's all good and actually our job is to kind of work out what is it what is it that we respond with best and and what do we like but also let's extend it a little bit let's broaden that because that's about us isn't it as humans to to broaden our our understanding of life and appreciation of it that there's so much and Music, there's so much music accessible, isn't there, for everybody now. Um, so. it,
0: it, it is, it, absolutely. And it's so interesting what you're saying there. It, it's it's not about um, analysing a particular style, but bringing it all together into this big, big pot, as it were, and, and seeing how that can become another extension to who you're connecting with. And you just said something earlier, whereby music is for all. Simple as that. I mean, it's such a great, great message, really.
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, we have a, you know, we have a music education system that 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 isn't really for all, to be honest. You know, actually, you need to have certain levels of of cognition to be able to learn an instrument, and really, we believe that actually everyone should be able to have access to to music. Uh, lessons is that it's maybe we need to change the way that we teach uh, and have a broader way that is all-inclusive that and we know that you know we've got children who can respond to music you know sometimes better than um, neurotypicals and, and yeah. other other children or have a, a much more much more of an interest in music and, and connection and reliance on it so how can we flex things so that everyone can have that access to music and it's access to music, education, but access to the experience of music, and we all, we all, you know, we all need music, don't we? We've all listened to music over the last, mm. you know, twelve months in, in some ways, whether it's in a, you know, a, a birthday or it's a funeral or it's a TV or radio. We all, we all have music, and it, it brings us together, and it can bring so much, you know, uh, hope uh, for, mm. for for the future.
0: It does. And and what's interesting about your work and certainly through the, the virtual aspect is that it isn't just uh, the children or only the children uh, in the East Anglia area that you're able to connect with, but children from different parts of the world as well.
1: Yes, in in my work outside of each, you know, um, mm-hmm. I, I run sort of Facebook live sessions, mm-hmm. uh, and that's anyone can join in. We've got people from Ireland who've been coming in, um, and all over the all of the UK um, mm-hmm. can come and join in. And and that's you know one of the, one of the wonderful things about the technology and music, and that might be something you know with with each actually looking at how we expand into different areas why don't we offer there's some online offers to to other places um which would be really actually very easy for us to do actually easy wins um, oh. uh, um and, uh, and and it's about this you know the community the online community and i suppose we, we often think about how do we prepare our our children or our, our families for for the future but it's actually thinking about it's for their future not not ours and actually our their futures is is different to our our present and our past and how we thought things would be. So we're trying to prepare people for for a different way, uh, possibly, and um, mm. th- th- these different ways could could um, be really useful um, for people.
0: So Phil, really thinking about the development of each and and really listening to the families, listening to people like Ray Bryn and so on. That I mean, are you? still or each, you know, do they still try to keep in contact with families whereby perhaps their children have passed away and so they they don't have the same connection or need for the support of each themselves, but do they still keep in contact and and, you know, can there be real learning coming from families who have in the past been supported by each?
3: Uh, yes i mean we we do provide a lot of um bereavement support for families and and that relationship you know can and does last for years and years and and you know some of our strongest advocates our most committed fundraisers our most dedicated volunteers and indeed at least one of our present trustees are um parents who have had a relationship with us because they have a child who um sadly has passed away so yeah. um yeah, I mean, that—that that is one of the extraordinary things about this organisation. It, it, it is about relationships and, um, you know, and, and constantly learning from each other. I mean, what just listening to Ray this morning, I, I've made a note here about, you know, what you just said, Ray, about on, online, you know, expanding our online offer beyond the geographic boundaries of each. You know, I'm kicking myself for not having thought of that earlier, but that, <laughs> that's now on the list for next week when we sit down to try and think about what, what do we what do we what do we learn and what do we try and amplify and embed in mm. in our in our sort of offer to families both within our three counties and beyond? Um, but yes, we 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 do maintain a relationship with with families after the mm. if the child has has died after after the death.
0: Mm. And and Bryn, since uh, the the beginning of of March last year, or, or or when the pandemic started, I mean, have you found yourself being more isolated or actually more connected?
2: Um, definitely more isolated. Um, Oliver had uh, sessions with each at Treehouse uh, where we would take him there for the day. Myself and Angela could then go into town, go shopping or go to the cinema or do something whilst he was being cared for uh, at the Treehouse in Ipswich. Um, obviously, we haven't been able to do that. He was also having uh, hydrotherapy sessions at the treehouse, which Oliver in the water is just a beautiful thing to see. He can move in such different ways um, to, to you know us giving him physio. Some, some of the movements he had in the pool were, were so good for him. That's something we've really missed. Um, and also Oliver has um, a carer come into the home overnight... Uh, twice a week so that myself and Angela uh, can have a full night's sleep unfortunately that stopped as well so for a year um, all of those things that we thought we never needed at the beginning that we then Mm. were given and have now come to rely on have been taken away so it's it's been quite a step back um over the last year um but uh but we we will get back um uh, we've, we've got to think positive, so uh you know the, the hydrotherapy and and the, also each um, had various uh events during the year um tree fest and you know it's, it's the christmas uh meeting father Christmas in the woods there um all these things that, you know they they're, they're tiny little things, but they mean so much so connecting with Ray every couple of weeks um listening to him singing Ed Sheeran, you know, they're priceless moments.
0: Incredible, isn't it? And it's it's so interesting what you're saying about it's a small, small things that make a difference. You know, it it, it really is. And and it's very interesting that you're mentioning, you know, some of the things that perhaps you didn't think would make a big difference or perhaps were taken for granted that once they're not there, they become a big hole in a way and, and that's that's really quite quite interesting. One
3: of the sorry mean, I mean one of the things yeah. that, just building on what Bryn said there, one of the things that struck me, we we had a conversation with a group of and they were all mums from Cambridgeshire on online last autumn, really talking about the isolation they were experiencing that Bryn's just you know described there. And one of them said, well, the mum said to me uh, during that conversation that actually what we, i.e. those of us who don't have these care responsibilities are now living through in lockdown, is there every day. So, you know, we've all become frustrated and, um, you know, felt you know various levels of emotion, emotional turmoil about what we have lost because of lockdown. And the point that was being made very eloquently to me was actually, it's temporary for most of us. But but the lived reality of many of our parents is that almost permanent state of isolation and lockdown. Mm. Um, you know, that disconnect, that not being able to step away from those care and responsibilities. And you know, the way Whit Bryn has just described the ability to go shopping as a couple or go and see a film for an hour and a half, which all of the rest of us just regard as a basic human right. <laughs> mm. um, that that is not, it's a it's a privilege actually for the rest of us. And I think we all need to reflect on what we have learnt about each other during this crisis, and therefore what some of the rest of us have to live with on a much more permanent and a much more um, limiting level.
0: It's so important that what you've just said there really, really crucial. And Ray. Is there another song to finish <laughs> off? My, where, we'll where's to, your we'll, co-partner? We'll where, where, where's where's I
1: he gone? I need my band.
0: You need together. your bandmate, don't you? You need the star of the show. <laughs> back back <together. laughs> so, I, I can
2: actually hear Oliver snoring at the moment. So.
0: There we go. That can be the accompaniment for sure. No.
1: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah and and wow. just thinking about what phil was saying you know we've got many families who you know have said you know ray this is our life we are always isolating you've just you've just walked into our life yes, and yes. Uh, um you've experienced what we experience and hopefully hopefully we can as a community uh, can learn and uh, now that we've experienced something something similar not the same but something mm. that we might have more compassion and more um more understanding of what what families are going through, that we might be able to continue to care for them, in 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 all ways, you know, the financial support, but but but, but more than the financial support, how we care care for our neighbours, those people who are really struggling, I think it's really important.
0: Well, that's such a wonderful bookend to this podcast. It really is, Ray. Thank you, and I'd just like to say a huge, huge thank you to Bryn. Uh, Oliver, of course, and Angela, I think, in the background, you know, taking care of all the animals there oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and making sure you don't get a, a set of sleigh bells slung at your head or something like that. But anyway, it's been an absolute pleasure. And Phil, really, thank you so, so much. It's been absolutely Incredibly insightful, you know getting a glimpse as regards to the organization um, and the the running of that ray amazing the work that you do it' it 's just so incredibly inspiring, and I am absolutely one hundred percent sure we will connect uh, in some way with the little sansula or another yes. <laughs> little bedtime instrument there to. To send our children off to sleep with sweet dreams. (laughs) But anyway, thank you so, so much indeed. Thank Thank you, thank you. I would like to say a very special thank you to Audio Network for supporting my podcast. Thank you so much for listening. See you in my next one.